Chapter 9 of Molly Brown's Freshman Days. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Debbie Baker Robinson. Molly Brown's Freshman Days by Nell Speed. Rumors and Mysteries. How many warm-hearted, impetuous people get themselves into holes because of those two qualities which are very closely allied indeed. And Molly Brown was one of those people. Carried away by emotions of generosity, she found herself constantly going farther than she realized at the moment. Why, for instance, could she not have put Frances Andrews off with an excuse for a day or so? Someone would surely have asked her to the sophomore freshman ball. And if she had only liked Frances, matters would have been different, if it had been an act of friendship, of deep devotion. But in spite of herself, she could not bring herself to trust that strange girl, beautiful and clever as she undoubtedly was, and sorry as Molly was for her. After all, it was rather selfish of Frances to have obtained the promise from Molly. Did she think it would reinstate her in the affections of her class to be seen in the company of the popular young freshman? All this time Molly said nothing to her friends, but on the morning of the ball she could not conceal from Judy and Nance her apprehension and general depression. And seeing their friend's lackluster eye and drooping countenance, they held a council of war in Judy's small bedroom. At the end of this whispered conference, Judy was heard to remark, I'm afraid of the girl, to tell you the truth. Her fiery eyes and her two-pronged tongues seem to take all the spirit out of me. I'm not afraid of her, said Nance, who had a two-pronged tongue of her own once she was stirred into action. You wait here for me, and when I come back, you can go and notify the sophomores of what's happened. Of course, Molly will get to the ball all right. The thing is to extricate her from the situation by the most tactful and surest means. Judy laughed. No, she answered. The thing is not to let Molly know we have saved her life. If Frances hadn't done that witch's stunt and said all those malicious things at Molly's Kentucky spread, I don't think I should have minded so much. And do you know, Judy, that the report has spread abroad that she and Molly had prepared the whole thing beforehand, speeches and all, and were in league together? You see, Molly was the only one who wasn't hit. You don't mean it, cried Judy. Then, more than ever, I want to spare the child the humiliation she might have to suffer if she went with Frances tonight. Go forth to battle, Nance, and may the saints preserve you. Nance girded her sweater about her like a coat of mail, stiffened her backbone, pressed her lips together, and marched out to the fray. She never told even Judy exactly what took place between Frances and her in that small room, with its bewildering array of fine trappings, silver combs and brushes, yellow silk curtains at the window, Turkish rugs, books, and pictures. No one had ever seen the room except Molly the night of the spread when it was too dark to make out what was in it. There was no loud talking. Whatever was said was of the tense, quiet kind, and presently Nance emerged unscathed from the encounter. She made me give my word of honor not to tell what was said, she announced to the palpitating Judy. But she's writing the note to Molly now, so go quickly and inform someone that Molly has no escort for the ball. Judy departed much mystified, and Nance remained discreetly away from her own room until she perceived Frances steal down the hall, push a note under their door, and then hurry back, bang her own door, and lock it. Then, after a moment's grace, Nance marched boldly to their chamber. Molly was reading the note. What do you think, Nance? she exclaimed with a tone of evident relief in her voice. 
Frances Andrews can't go tonight. Indeed, and what reason does she give? asked Nance, feeling very much like a conspirator now that she was obliged to face Molly. None. She simply says, I'm sorry I can't go tonight. Hope you'll enjoy it. F.A. How does she expect me to get there, I wonder, at the eleventh hour? Nance examined her fingernails attentively. Perhaps she's seen to that, she replied after a pause. Nance, said Molly presently, I'm so relieved that I think I'll have to fess up. It's mean of me, I know, and I feel awfully ungenerous to be so glad. You see, nobody can ever tell what strange, freakish thing she's going to do. Of course she was the witch. I knew it from the conscious look that came into her face when I told her about it afterwards. The mistake she has made is being defiant instead of repentant, said Nance. Instead of trying to brazen it out, she ought to walk softly, as the Bible says, and keep quiet. She is the most embittered soul I ever met in all my life. If hatred counted for much, her hatred for her own class would burn it to a cinder. There was a sound of hurrying footsteps on the stairs, and Judy burst into the room. Her face was aflame, and she flung herself into a chair, panting for breath. What's your hurry? asked Molly, slipping on her jacket. Excuse me, I must be chasing along to French. Tell her the news, Nance. No need to tell Judy news, who had news of her own. I tell you, Nance, she exclaimed, there are times when I think the position of a freshman is one of the lowliest things in life. The first sophomore I met was Judith Blount. I did feel a little timid, but I told her what had happened. You can tell your friend, she said, that we sophomores are not so gullible as all that, and if her nervous failed her at the last moment, it's her fault, not ours. Why, Judy, exclaimed Nance, you didn't know you were jumping from the frying pan right into the fire when you told that to Judith Blount, who was never like Molly from the beginning. It's jealousy, pure and simple, I think, although there almost seems to be something more behind it sometimes. She takes such pains to be disagreeable. Was anyone else there to hear you? Oh, yes. She was surrounded by her satellites, Jenny Wren and a few others. The two girls sat in gloomy silence for a few minutes. After that rebuff, they hardly cared to circulate the bit of news any further in the sophomore class, which, it must be confessed, had the reputation of being run by a clique of the most arrogant and snobbish set of girls Wellington College had ever known. Let's go and tell our woes to nice old Sally Marks, suggested Judy, and off they marched in search of the good-natured, funny Sally, whose room was on the floor below. Come in, she called at their tap on the door, and noticing at once their serious faces, she exclaimed, I declare, I'm beginning to feel like the oracle at Delphi. What's the trouble now, my children? You ought never to have gone to Judith Blount, she continued, after they had unburdened their secrets. But having gone to her, it would be well, so spake the oracle, to sit back and hold tight. The news is certain to spread, and of course only Judith and her ring would believe that Molly sent you out to find her an escort. There is one thing sure. Molly is obliged to go to the dance, not only because she has so many friends, but because she figures, I am told, so largely in jokes and croaks, and it would be sport spoiled if she wasn't there when things are read out. Now, trot along, children. I'm cramming for an exam, and I'm busier than the busiest person in Wellington today. The afternoon dragged itself slowly along. Nance took her best dress out of its wrappings, heated a little iron, and smoothed out its wrinkles. She lifted Molly's blue crepe from its hanger and laid it on the couch. It was made in the simplest possible way out of the least possible goods in the least possible time, she informed Judy, 
who had wickedly cut a class and sat moping in her friend's room. Isn't it pretty? We made it together, and I'm really quite puffed up about the result. It's empire, you know, she added proudly. The dress did indeed show the short empire waist. The round neck was cut out and finished with a frill of creamy lace which Molly happened to have, and there had not been much of a struggle with the sleeves which came only to the elbow and were to all intents and purposes shapeless. But the color was the thing, as Molly had said. I'd be willing to drown in a color like that, Judy observed. Judy was quite a poseu about colors and assured her friends that she could never wear red because it inflamed her temper and made her cross. That violet quieted her nerves. Green stirred her ambitions, and blue aroused her sympathies. While they were looking at the dress, Margaret Wakefield and Jessie Lynch, her roommate and boon companion, after rapping on the door, sailed into the room. We came to consult about clothes, they announced. Is this to be an evening dress affair, or what's proper to wear? The best you have, replied Judy. At least that's what I was told by the oracular Sally below stairs. For the love of heaven, don't tell that to Jessie, cried Margaret. If you give her so much rope, she'll be wearing purple velvet and cloth of gold. Jessie laughed good-naturedly. She was already considered the best-dressed and prettiest girl in the freshman class, and it was a joke at Queen's Cottage that she had been obliged to apply to the matron for more closet room, because the large one she had shared with Margaret Wakefield was not nearly adequate for her numerous frocks. It had been a constant wonder to the other girls in the house that these two opposite types could have become such intimate friends, but friends they were and continued to be throughout their college course, although Jessie never could rake up an interest in the U.S. Constitution or woman's suffrage either. The two girls really formed a sort of combination of brains and beauty, and it became generally known that Jessie would hardly have pulled through the four years except for the indefatigable efforts of her faithful friend Margaret. Mabel Hinton, a Queen's Cottage freshman, now popped her head in at the door, which was half open. She was a very odd character, but she was popular with her friends who called her the Martian, probably because she had a phenomenal intellect and wore enormous glasses and tortoise-shell frames which made her eyes look like a pair of full moons. I thought I heard a racket, she said in her crisp, catchy voice. I suppose you are all discussing the news. News? What news? they demanded. She closed the door carefully and came farther into the room. Gather around me, girls, she said mysteriously, enjoying their curiosity. But what is it, Mabel? Don't keep us in suspense, cried Judy, always impatient. Well, there is evidence that someone was going to set fire to the gym tonight, she began in a whisper. This morning, a bundle of oil-soaked rags was discovered in a closet, and then they began to search and found several other bundles like the first. There was a lot of excitement, and the pricks came over. They tried to keep it quiet, but the story leaked out, of course, and is still leaking, she smiled. The girls exchanged horrified glances. What terrible disaster might not have befallen them if the rags had not been discovered? Of course it was the work of an insane person, said Margaret Wakefield. Of course, but who? Is she one of the students or some outside person? With a common instinct, Judy and Nance looked up at the same moment. Their glances met. Without making a sound, Judy's lips formed the word, Francis. Is the dance to take place, then? asked Jessie. Oh, yes. It's all been hushed up, and things will go on just as usual. I'm going to look on from the balcony. I shan't mingle with the dancers, because they knock off my spectacles and generally upset my equilibrium. 
the door opened and molly appeared in their midst like a gracefully angular wraith for her face looked white her shoulders drooped and her long slim arms hung down at her sides dejectedly why molly dear has anything happened to you cried nance no i won't say that nothing has happened answered molly sinking into a chair and resting her chin on her hand i have been put through an ordeal this day why i can never tell you but i am glad you are all here so that i can tell you about it they pressed about her full of sympathy and friendliness while judy who loved comfort and recognized the needs of the flesh under the most trying circumstances lit nance's alcohol lamp and put on the kettle to make tea but what is it they all demanded seeing that molly had fallen into a silence i've been with the president for the last hour she said though for what reason i can't explain i can't imagine why i was sent for and brought to her private office she was very nice and kind she asked me a lot of questions about myself and all of queen's girls i was glad enough to answer them because we have nothing to be ashamed of have we girls molly rose and stood before them spreading out her hands with a kind of deprecating gesture the circle of faces before her almost seemed abashed under the steady gaze of her clear blue eyes it was a pleasure to tell her what nice girls were stopping at queen's cottage did she mention began judy and pointed to the dividing wall of the next room oh yes i was coming to that but what do i know about molly stopped short and caught her breath her eyes turned towards the door which was opened softly there stood frances andrews she had evidently just come in for she still wore her sweater and tam o shanter and brought with her the smell of the fresh piney air it's all right about your escort for tonight, miss brown you are to go with miss stewart who has got special privilege from the sophomore president to take you good-bye i hope you'll have a ripping time i shan't see you at supper i'm going off on the six fifteen train and won't be back until sunday night there was such a tense feeling in the circle of freshmen as frances stood there that as judy remarked afterwards they almost crackled with electricity it was quite late and as most of the girls intended to dress for the party before supper they took their departure immediately without any comment is anything special the matter asked molly after they had gone and she was left alone with her friends they told her the strange story which mabel hinton had reported to them a little while before but that is the work of a lunatic exclaimed molly horrified and i suppose went on nance that the reason prexy sent for you was that she suspected a certain person who shall be nameless and she was told that you were the only person who had ever been nice to her and furthermore that you were going to the dance with her of course that must be the reason said molly and of course it's absurd i mean suspecting frances andrews she might be accused of many things but she is certainly in her right mind she's much cleverer than lots of the girls in her class clever yes but should you call her balanced molly did not answer she felt anxious and frightened and a rap on the door at that moment made her jump with nervousness it proved to be one of the maids of the house with two boxes of flowers both for molly one was pink roses and contained the card of mary stuart and the other was violets and contained no card whatever she divided the violets in half and made her two friends wear them that night to the dance end of chapter nine